0: jason lee along with amy Donaldson, and this is the loudmouth projects voices of reason this week we are joined by lieutenant governor spencer cox he's a lieutenant governor of the state of utah he is now running as the republican candidate to become the next governor of utah and we want to say thank you to a um, gentleman who's been on our show before and spencer thanks it's great having you again
1: today well jason and amy it's always great to be with you guys thanks for having me on
2: We've actually had your running mate on twice, so you know you have to catch up with her. So
1: <laughs> I, I do, and, uh, you, and she's great. But that's okay. You can have you can have her on all the time. She's yeah. incredible. Yeah. She, she's done a great job. She's
2: fantastic, and she we loved uh, having her on, uh, uh, Deidre Henderson. Um, which, by the way, how is she? Is she doing okay?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, um, she, she had a rough, uh, rough last, uh, 36 hours. She was, she was actually feeling better. Her family's doing much better. And then she had a setback. Uh, she, she w- had to go to the ER twice in a 24 hour period. And so it's, uh, this, uh, again, this, you know, this virus is no joke and, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's been, it's been really rough on her, but, but doing a little better today. So we're, oh, we're she's glad in our that. prayers. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: You. And, uh, I was really sad to hear that, but you know, I mean, those of us who are working, we know that's sort Mm -hmm. of a risk. As careful as you are, um, there's it's just a risk. uh, um, Which we're going to talk about because everything is coronavirus these days, right? Right? Um, But let's talk first. I know we think we know you, right? You're going to surprise us today with a story we haven't heard. Tell us who is Spencer Cox and uh, why on earth you want to be governor
1: yeah so uh you know my my story's been told a lot that's that's part of being in the public spotlight for so long and and of course running for governor over the uh the, the past year but um I'm, I'm i'm really just a a kid from uh from Sampe county you know i i grew up in a in a really small town in fairview um we we didn't have much at all growing up uh my 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 dad came from a uh, from, from a dairy farm um, with he and his five brothers. Uh, my mom's from the the small town of, uh, of Moroni. Um, and uh, grew up there on a farm. Uh, her, her dad uh, coached basketball, coached uh, high sc- or, or uh, junior high basketball, and uh, and then uh, he was he was the the announcer at all the football games when I was growing up until he uh, he could barely talk anymore. Uh, and that's uh, that's that's the life I you know I, I lived. My, uh, my my dad. Um, when my grandfather died uh, early, my dad had to drop out of college to uh, to come back and run the farm and, and keep things going. And uh, I was born. Um, I was born just just before my grandfather died. And. And my dad went to work at his uncle, who had taken over the uh, the, the family t- the telephone company that my great grandfather started in 1919. And that's that was just just kind of our life. I mean, you know, I went to North Sanpy High School where I met my wife, and uh, we we desperately wanted to get out of the small town and, and never go back. It's a, a you know story that you hear all the time, and so we didn't get very far we went to snow college first and uh but but then from there we went to utah state and uh, loved it and then um, i went to law school back in virginia and uh, it was a hard decision to come back to utah but we did and i, I worked for a big law firm in in salt lake and we had uh, three little boys at the time and decided that we had to go back we really wanted to go back and raise our kids on, on the farm where where we Raised and, and to have those same experiences and a little girl was born a couple of years later and and uh, that's what we did. My my dad asked me to come back and, and help take over the business, knowing that he would uh, he would be retiring someday. And uh, and that's we did. I you know and I happened to get involved uh, on the city council and and as a mayor and county commissioner, the House of Representatives, and then out of nowhere, the governor asked me to be the lieutenant governor. And that's that's kind of how we ended up here.
2: Okay, it was I gotta Really, really
1: unexpected.
0: I, I'm trying to imagine you going from I want to get out of this small town to a man who drives daily from Fairfield to Salt Lake daily. Fairview and to, uh, uh, Fairview. I'm sorry, whatever. I'm to it, uh, avo-
2: it matters. It avoiding all the, uh, the
0: the flora and fauna, the, the the deer that are you know also in the road when you get there. <laughs> I um, how, how did you decide to go back and, and because it seems to me, Spencer, the one thing I. Uh, well, there's a few things I, I've gotten to know you about, uh, is how kind of connected you are to your small town routes. So much so that you're willing to, for the last seven years to make that drive, what is it, probably about uh, an, a little over an hour, hour 15 minutes or so?
1: It, it's, it's 100 miles one way, okay. so uh, an hour 30 if there's no traffic, you know, hour 45, <laughs> two hours if there is. Is traffic. I, I will say, coronavirus driving has been nice. Uh, we <laughs> rarely traffic these days. That's it. one of the few one of the few upsides. Um, no, and and I think that's what's so so important. And, and, and I'm sure you know lots of people have that story. Um, Senator Ben Sasse talks about uh, how there there are three types of people. It, it, this is actually a study that came out of Florida, um, and, and the three types of people in our country are they they they, they label them um, the, uh, the 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 mobile, um, the the stuck, and and the rooted. And, and the mobile are are people who are really able to take advantage of 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 where we are and and, and this modern society we have with uh, with just incredible um, uh, people and, uh, and the, the incredible opportunities to really, uh, to really, uh, work wherever you want to work and, uh, live wherever you want to live and move wherever you want to move. Uh, but, but they, they, they kind of lose those connections. Um, and, and then we have, and then we have the stuck and those are people who are where they are because they can't really go anywhere else. They don't have the educational capacity. They don't have the, the opportunities that other have. And then, and then he talks to the rooted and it's, it's actually the the, the the part that 's disappearing the, the most and it 's people who have opportunities and, and have the, the educational experiences, but stay where they are and and, and really try to better the place where, where they are and, uh, and and that's it's something that's become really important to me i, I didn 't know what I had when I lived there, uh, things that I took for granted and um, once we once we left all of that and, and had our own kids and realized um, that there was there was something special there for us. Um, and, and then going back and experiencing it. And then when, I, when the opportunity came to leave, I, uh, I I just I, I it was really hard. I, I I didn't want to leave. In fact, it's it's why um, I've told this story before. But it's it's why I, I I almost told the governor no when he asked me to be the lieutenant governor. In fact, um, I had decided to tell him no, and uh, it was a, a conversation with my wife and my parents that, that changed that. Um, but uh, but but I didn't want to leave that, and so so I, so I told the governor. I said, Governor, I'll do it, but I'm I'm staying, and uh, I'll figure it out, and I'll make it work, and. Uh, It's really helped me stay connected to to the people, um, connected to my family, um, connected to the the state of Utah. There's this growing divide between urban and rural Utah that I'm really passionate about. And, uh, you know, if I if I had left that, my my worry is that I would have um, I I would have forgotten that. And, And I'm so glad that I that I stayed. It's made a difference.
2: We so, have
0: about a minute to go, so Amy, if you have one more yeah, question. Yeah,
2: I just wanted to, I, I want to build on that, because I, you know, grow, growing from Alaska, I, I'm a familiar with some of these issues, but I think one thing that coronavirus has exposed is the inequities, so there are some real advantages, like there's no trouble with in-person school in some of these rural communities, because they have no cases or, or very few cases, and then, um, but the, you don't always have the technology and the educational opportunities. How do you I don't know, bring the pros and cons of each type of living together, like to to each of of the other side.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, So certainly there are trade offs, right? I, I mean, you know, the schools my kids go to are, are wonderful and my brother teaches there and I, I love the, the people, some of the teachers that I had are still there, um, but but you we don't have the same opportunities that you have elsewhere. Of course, um, I, you know, I, I worked in the technology business and, and what we tried to do was to bring technology and opportunities to, to rural Utah, so bringing fiber optics and, and, and broadband um, to, to allow people to connect and then to, uh, you know, to, to supplement the, the opportunities that we're missing out on and and working hard. Uh, My my company, we volunteered in the schools uh, to bring entrepreneurism uh, to to those areas, uh, opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, It's a a really big deal to me to try to to lift those rural areas and try to equalize, make sure that there's equity in this process. And it's something I'm passionate about. One of the reasons I'm governor is, I believe, both in rural Utah and, and our inner cities, um, uh, the people of color in our state, who are missing out on those educational opportunities. If we believe in, uh, it, that, that everyone should have the same opportunities, um, we can't guarantee success, but at least the same opportunities, that has to start with education. And uh, we have to do better uh, lifting those who, who are in Title I schools and, and struggling.
0: Today, we're talking with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is the Republican candidate now for Utah governor. And we will continue our conversation with the lieutenant governor. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Back. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson and we're speaking today with Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is now running to be the Republican candidate for Utah governor. And, uh, you know, Spencer, you've had a lot of experience, right, you know, being the lieutenant governor for the last seven years. But, you know, Amy kind of talked about this offline. You know, you just went through a pretty competitive primary against some very formidable candidates. And, you know, in this in this time of coronavirus, I wonder if you could kind of explain. Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and maybe what you've learned from it
1: sure yeah you know it was a very competitive primary and uh we, we've never had a primary quite like that in the state uh, because of the the way things have changed having four people on the ballot and, and 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 even people that didn't make it on the ballot that are incredibly qualified and uh just just wonderful public servants and so i i have to say it was mostly awful uh, if i'm being if i'm being candid and, and <laughs> honest um and it, certainly you know the the coronavirus and what's happening here this pandemic has just overwhelmed every Everything. and it, and it, it certainly changed the way um, we, we had to campaign it's it's the part I, I miss the most um, I, I feel I'm at my best and I enjoy really connecting with people uh, when, when I get an opportunity to be with people and as, as you guys know as we talked about before um, we had this crazy audacious idea to visit all 248 cities and towns and we made it to 205 of those before March when uh, when everything kind of got shut down and and so we we ended up finishing that that tour, but we had to do it, in, you know, in, with small groups in people's backyards, uh-huh. wearing masks, uh, socially distancing, and uh, and doing more and more uh, online. And of course, we had a we had a virtual convention for the first time in our state's history. Now we're, we're seeing the national parties that the, 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 the DNC is doing that this this week, and the RNC is going to be doing it next week. But we really pioneered that um, in uh, in April here in our state, and uh, we were successful. We were able to win that convention, but, um, but it's, uh, it's, it, it was really hard. I, I felt so grateful to have Senator Henderson, uh, my, my running mate, who came in and kind of, uh, we announced her, um, well, in fact, we were prepared to announce her, we were planning to announce her the day we had the earthquake. And so we we had to bump it back a day, you know, an earthquake in the middle of a pandemic, what else could go wrong? And so we we bumped it back and then announced her, and then basically said, hey, welcome to the team. Um, You're running the the campaign, I'm doing coronavirus 24-7 24-7 and uh you're you're gonna have to take this over and she's so amazing and so talented that she did um and helped lead us to a victory in that uh in that um uh, convention and then we worked really hard together to get through uh the the, the uh the june primary so it, it's uh, it's been fascinating it's certainly been one for the history books. something we'll always remember but something i hope we never have to repeat
2: so I think it can all be summed up in the fact that at 11 11:30 at night I'm watching videos of you in your closet in in Fairview uh, talking to us about coronavirus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's, I that's, I just thought right. it was yeah. so surreal. I was like what this is I hope all these things get saved and like people remember cuz it was so weird. I'm like this is the guy leading our coronavirus effort and he's campaigning to be our next governor. You know, so he's basically a leader of the state. It was just the weirdest time and I totally 100% agree with you. I'm a very social person and I, I miss the newsroom. I miss my friends. It's just, it's hard. Which is going to take us to school because your kids are going in person. It's been a really hotly debated situation up here in, on the Wasatch Front because they're uh, the bulk of the cases. I mean half of the cases are uh, almost, uh, half of the cases are in Salt Lake County, um, Utah County and Davis. So what what have you learned from the coronavirus pro and con about where we need to go in education i know it was a priority before the pandemic so what has it done to your priority now
1: yeah well look there there are no right answers and everybody seems to think theirs is the right answer and half the people think it's the worst idea ever that we're going back to school and and, and the other half think it's it's insane that we would even consider not going back to school and so just just this morning I mean, just before we, I, I joined this uh, this this podcast uh, we were we were having these discussions with uh, with our education leaders about where we are what we've seen some schools are already back uh, my kids are going back uh, my high school goes back tomorrow, and my um, middle schooler goes back on Friday. And uh, and and what does that you know what does that look like? I also I, I mean I have to bring this up. I have a sister that has is severely immunocompromised, um, and her kids she's got to keep them home. She just can't risk it. She'll likely she has severe cystic fibrosis. Um, I have a brother who also has cystic fibrosis who teaches at high school. He's a counselor there. He teaches a couple classes, and um, you know th- this is life or death stuff for my siblings. And so we are living this every day, trying to figure out how are we going to do this. And and I'm grateful that schools have worked so hard to give parents options the options of coming back or not coming back, a hybrid model. Um, some of them can do it online if they, they need to. My brothers literally, they, they have, there's one classroom in the school that has a separate room that's attached to the classroom with a glass wall um, that they use for science experiments and things like that, and he's going to be standing behind that, in that glass room, teaching the kids outside of that glass room with, you know, with a speaker uh, around his neck that projects into that, that room. Um, and, and so, everyone is just trying to figure this out but i 've got to tell you as, as terrible as this pandemic is, and i 'm not downplaying it at all. it is absolutely awful, and the health repercussions of this are very, very severe, um, so too are the health repercussions of our kids not coming back to school. Um, some of the data that 's coming out right now about um, uh, suicide ideation and uh, and um, just the the, the uh, well i mean just the the, the the lack of educational progress uh, by 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 students over the, the past six months um, should should very much concern all of us. The the mental health aspects um, and uh, the, the, every kid's different. Some kids just desperately need this. And, and by the way, you know we talked a little bit about this too. The sports thing. Um, we, we're we have to try and, and we're giving it our best shot. Now I, I fully anticipate that there will be many classes. Many schools uh, that, that end up going um, online, where we have to go online, for, for 14 days because of outbreaks. Um, we're going to see games that are canceled, maybe seasons that end up getting canceled, but that is, that does not represent a failure trying and, and not being able to make it work for an entire season or an entire school year is not a failure. Um, every moment that these kids are back on the field or back in the classroom is, uh, is a win. And, uh, we're, we're going to take it as a win while trying to, our best to keep everyone safe. And if we have to go back virtually for a while, that's okay. Um, That's that's what we're prepared to do. And uh, we just had the FDA commissioner here yesterday, the the national FDA commissioner, the guy who's in charge of all the testing and all the vaccines and all the therapeutics. And uh, it was really it it gave me a, a lot of hope. A lot of optimism to hear that discussion about what's in the pipeline right now, what's going to be coming out in the next few months, both from therapeutics and a vaccine standpoint. And uh, we're going to get on the other side of this uh, uh, quickly, uh, but we're, we're, ju- we're going to keep trying. And I'm, I'm proud of, of every one of our teachers and our schools and our districts that are, are, are working hard to figure out a way through this.
0: Spencer? I'm, I got a question for you. I'm sorry. We've got to uh, go, go, uh, go out of this and we'll come back. And so uh, Amy gets the first question, but then after that, I have one also re- related a, a bit to what you just described with regard to uh, the kinds of strategies and uh, the school districts and just uh, all of us are trying to figure out to accommodate ourselves in this time of uh, coronavirus. Uh, we're speaking today with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is running to be, the, he's a Republican, running to be Utah governor in November. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Hello and welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're joined by Utah, Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is running as a Republican candidate for Utah Governor. And uh, in the last segment, uh, Lieutenant Governor, we, we spoke with you and y- you gave us some of your thoughts on how educationally we're, we're trying to deal with this challenge that we have right now. Uh, Amy had one other question and then uh, yeah. I also had another. That is, would our, would our state do a little better with uh, a statewide program or uh, to come back to school rather than this piecemeal effort that we're doing right now uh, in different districts?
1: Sure, Jason. And and th- this is one where we, we really have put a lot of thought into and and trying to figure out what is the best way to do this. Uh, f- first of all, I want to be clear. If there was kind of the, the, the perfect model that everyone agreed on, um, we, we would adopt that in a heartbeat. Um, but, but there is not. Um, and, and doctors disagree. Uh, experts disagree on what the the best model is and how to make it work. We also have very different situations, just the way schools are designed. Um, the, you know, rural schools versus urban schools. I mean, you know, we, we've got we, we've got some schools uh, like Animony, for example, where um, there are six kids in a school. You know, it's, it's it's it can be really different depending on where you are in the state. Um, so, so what we did, what we. we really wanted to put out there um, some some guidelines that we would hold everyone to but then let people do different approaches to figure out how to to, to work towards that so so the example of this is that um, if there are three connected cases in a classroom that classroom goes virtual for 14 days if there are 15 cases in a school or 10% whichever is uh, whichever is is uh, is is lower then um, then the, the entire school goes online so we we Put those parameters out there and then say, okay, school, you know what the repercussions of this are. Now, now you guys figure out what works best for your school to, to try to avoid that as much as possible. And and what what is ending up happening, and, and I think it's very valuable, is that we will learn lessons through this about what works better in some places than others and um and then we can quickly adopt those so if we have a model and and there are lots there are basically kind of four models that four different models that you can kind of lump everyone into um and 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 it's you know uh some of them are just going half days so every other day kids come to school um that's that's the one model then you've got the kind of there's a couple versions of the um Uh, we've got, uh, we've got, you can have all online or you can have all in person, um, and, uh, and, and try to work things out that way. And then you've got just the, the in-person model in some of our really small schools that that's, that's all they're offering. But if something happens, then they'll be offering online. So those are kind of the four basic models. But within that, there are so many nuances and variances. And, and what we're, we're trying to learn is what works better. So if we see some schools that have a model and, uh, and we're seeing more infections there, then if but we're not seeing any infections in Davis, where they're going halftime. Then we can pivot to that and say, okay, look, this is the, the Davis model is working best. Let's let's all go to that. So we'll we'll be making those uh, we'll be uh, kind of audibling as we as we watch and see what happens. Uh, but again, having those those rules in place uh, that allow us to treat all schools the same. If there is an outbreak, this is what's going to happen, um, and and respond very quickly while always giving parents an option uh, to uh, to to make sure that their kids. If they can't come to school or if they have a compromised sibling or a parent um, like, like my sister, um, her kids will be will be at home and, uh, and learning from home until it's safe to go back.
2: So so one of the things that I think the coronavirus has highlighted, and, and you hit on it a little bit, is that sort of the inequities between schools. So that, I mean, I'm sure that sometimes the Wasatch Front looks at the rural schools and is with envy, you know, and says, oh, Breaver County's only had one case, right? That would be so great. And vice versa, though, there's so much technology and opportunity available on the Wasatch Front that isn't always available in rural communities. I, I also wonder just about the inequities within a district. So within the same district, let's take Granite District, for example, you have uh, the only Title I Wasatch Front High School, and that's uh, Granger. And you have a school like Olympus or, or, or Skyline who have a ton of parental support and, and, and hardly anybody on free and reduced lunch. And just just the inequities there. One of the things I saw was parents or teachers told me kids stopped um, logging on and got jobs because their parents lost their job. And it seems to me there's all this interconnectedness, like, like people are saying, what am I going to do with my kids if I have to go back to work, right? We've all now discovered and are now openly admitting that school is daycare. Um, what what uh, what? I mean, I guess are there other dominoes that you see fitting in to support school, like pre, uh, pre-K, or um, you know, technology programs? I mean, I think this—it's very wonderful that people are driving buses around with Wi-Fi. But have you ever tried doing your homework in a hot parking lot or your mom's car? <laughs> I mean, I've written a story in a hot car, and I just think these kids are really—they're suffering to get the same education that. Other kids are just walking into a school building and getting. Um, yeah. And so I just wondered about some of those other dominoes. Because to me, the models are interesting, but what really decides their success is those people like your sister and your brother who, they're, in the, they're making sure a kid washes their hands, they're making mm-hmm. sure everybody's wearing a mask, they're making sure kids understand the ramifications, right? This is what coaches are trying to do with high school sports. And I 100% agree we should be trying all of this, but To me, it seems like where the rubber meets the road, that's where we need to be honestly looking at what does work and doesn't work. And right now there's so much fear associated with it and criticism. Like you say, everyone thinks their answer is right and the other guy's wrong. But like, how do you, how do you fit all those other cogs together? Um, Because we're in this, at least I would say this school year, I would not expect to be out of this for the next nine months.
1: Yeah, Amy, and and I, I the th- the thing about your question though is I think it's so much broader than just this pandemic. And if it is the next six months or nine months, you know, this school year, whatever that ends up being, there will be serious repercussions. But but it has highlighted some positive things, but certainly some negative things. And uh, and and we you know the, the the racial justice piece of this as well. You know, we talk about rural schools, but you, you mentioned the inequities just within one district between. Two high schools, right, just a few miles apart, and and how distinct that can be, and 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 I just I, I firmly believe that this is where, um, and, and if it wasn't for the pandemic, all you would have heard me talking about is education, but that that we we have to focus and we have to invest more on the equity piece in education. Um, you, know, you know, my, my party is the, the, the party of, Hey, let's, uh, you know, let's not give people fish. Let's teach them how to fish. Right. And, and I, I believe in that. I really do. We're, we're, we're the, the party we can't guarantee equal outcomes, but we can guarantee equal opportunity. We, we really believe that. Um, and, but if we really believe that, then we have a lot of work to do. And that work has to happen in uh, the, 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 you know, the West side schools and, and in rural schools where, you know, my, 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 cousins who went to Bountiful, you know, they, they could, they go to high school and they would have, you know, five or six language options uh, to, to learn. Um, and, and you go to North Sampi high school and we had Spanish and that was it. And the guy didn't really speak Spanish. You know, he was the football coach and they decided he had to teach something. So they gave him Spanish. Um, that, that is not equal opportunity. Right, it's just not, and and I'm very fortunate that I had you know parents that helped me and, and got me through that. But but what about the kids that don't have that, that option available? Um, wh- what are we doing for them? And so uh, so you know people are going to get tired of me talking about this, but but it's it's really important to me. If we are going to continue as a state to have the success, the economic success that we're so proud of, um, we have to make sure that every student in this state has equal opportunities in education and uh and that's where our focus has to
0: be we're speaking today with lieutenant governor spencer cox who is the republican candidate running for utah governor uh we're going to switch uh topics coming into the next uh segment and talk a little bit about consumer finance and also talk a little bit about uh social justice as well you're listening to voices of reason back. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson and today we're speaking with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox who's a Rep- Republican candidate who's running for Utah governor and uh, we've had a lot of chance to talk about a lot of education and some uh, coronavirus issues and I, we only have one more segment left so we wanted to kind of get to a couple of uh, issues one of which is economics and, and kind of the disparity that's growing uh, among just society in general and I wanted, uh, we wanted to kind of ask a little bit about is there anything to be done on the state level to help Kind of uh, those who are at the bottom of the economic ladder avoid being taken advantage of or maybe have better opportunities to ascend a little more like, you know, our parents used to say, you know, you hope that you did better than the generation before where we see that's not really happening anymore.
1: So, so, Jason, there, there is, and uh, it's really important, and I, I, I want to make sure that, um, that, that I at least, you know, that I, that I share some of the positive things that are happening here. Um, Harvard did a study just a couple years ago uh, that showed that that idea it, that you just talked about, where you're better off than your parents, right, um, they, 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 they refer to that as upward mobility, um, the ability that the American dream, you know, you start with nothing, end up with something, the ability to move through the ranks. Uh, financially and socially to to, to be successful. And w- what they found was that uh, upward mobility was alive in Utah uh, more than anywhere else in the country by a pretty significant margin. It's one of the things we actually do really well. Um, now, that being said, we can do it better, and, and I worry that we're you know we're, we're heading the direction of the rest of the country, um, that idea that the American dream is dead, and, and we have to prevent that from happening. I, I, I firmly believe that the most important piece of that is that education piece that I talked about, that we're giving kids kids a leg up from the beginning, and and, and by the way, that, that that goes back into early childhood education as well. My wife has a degree in special education with a dual emphasis in early childhood and severe. And what we know is that if you you know high quality preschool, um, giving kids those opportunities at the youngest age can make a tremendous difference in their ability to graduate from high school, to go into some sort of post secondary education, and uh, and to be successful um, in in all walks of life. And so we, we can't lose our focus there. But the other thing that we can do at the state level that is so important, and that is workforce development. Um, it's this idea of upskilling our workforce. Uh, of take, we we've separated work from education for far too long. We need to reimagine in this new, uh, th- this this new era of technology, um, this uh, this you know post-industrial um, era that we are in right now. Uh, th- that the, the information era is, is that we, we have to, we have to bring education and work back together so that we are, we are a people who are constantly learning new things. Um, and, and that, that we just, we just anticipate you don't just go to college for four years, but every four or five years, you know, you go and you take a, a certification or a class to get kind of upskilled and reskilled. And uh, there, there are great jobs available. Um, and we've got to reinvest in our, our career and technical education, you know, bachelor's degree isn't for everyone it's one of the biggest mistakes we've made as a country is this idea that every kid needs a bachelor's degree right. it's bad for our kids and it's bad for our economy and uh giving giving adults who who are struggling right now um opportunities to go back a very cheap education paid for by by businesses and government to help people just reinvent themselves and get back into the workforce is uh, is going to be absolutely critical coming out of this pandemic and and helping those that are struggling
2: um, pivoting a little bit on that, we'll kind of combine the social justice piece with... with uh, I'm, I'm wondering about, is there an opportunity for the state to help um, either start or invest in, um, offer grants? I don't know what's available. I, I, don't, I don't know what's out there. But a, a way to help get uh, minority-owned banks. Because I think one of the huge issues I see, on the, I live on the west side of Salt Lake County is that we have a bunch of paycheck cashing places here and yeah. most places aren't taking cash right now. And I have neighbors who don't have a bank. They don't have a bank account. They cash their check at our grocery store or at one of these paycheck lending places. And um, it's it's ridiculous to me that we can't figure out how to help these people in a way that doesn't take such, such advantage of them. I mean, paying like a five or 7% Sometimes a ten percent of your paycheck to get it cashed to me seems insane, and I don't. What can be done for to, to fix that?
1: Yeah, it's predatory and it's it's deeply mm-hmm. problematic. We we've done some things to rein in that industry um, over the last five years. The legislature has in some positive ways, but there's so much more we can do. Um, so I, I I chair the the governor's multicultural commission, and we we work on these issues and. For, for years, we've been talking about health disparities um, and it, between our, our communities of color, um, the you know the, the Latino population, which is the, the largest in the state, but Pacific Islanders as well, um, and uh, and and that has been this pandemic has shown a bright spotlight on that. We we've shared the numbers before, but you know Latinos make up 14 percent of the the state, but we're as high as like 44 percent of our cases uh, mm-hmm. coronavirus cases, and the, the good news is that's down to about. now it's starting to come down and what we did was we said okay we we really have to pay more attention and focus on this we have an incredible group of people from the Multicultural Commission that are working on these issues and one of those that came out of it was the the the, the, the PPP loans that, that through the CARES Act funding that came out to businesses that could be turned into grants if you hired people back. Well, we went through the first round of that, and we and Utah did better than any other state, by the way, um, really aggressive, and and we looked at the numbers, and there were almost no minority owned businesses that took advantage of those loans. And the banks played a huge role in that. So we went to our banks and said, guys, you've got to do better. We need help here. Um, to their credit, Zions Bank really stepped up and some other banks did as well and went out and started educating and, and recruiting these businesses to help them understand, hey, you can get these loans and they can be forgiven and uh, we can keep you alive. Now, if there were if there were banks that were specifically working with those populations, we wouldn't have had that problem. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Um, the good news is Zions realized it and stepped up in a big way and have and have told us they want to continue those relationships that they've been building. Um, but but again, we, we have to be intentional about it, and we haven't been in the past, and that's one of the positive things that is coming out of this pandemic, is we are now translating all of our materials into lots of different languages. Um, we're actually holding press conferences in Spanish, something we've never done before. We, we did add, add uh, press conference translation, but you, you have to realize that, that most of these people, your neighbors, they, they aren't tuning in at one o'clock on a Thursday to listen to the governor um, through a translator talk about what's happening with the pandemic they're just not right they're they're involved in their lives they're just trying to make ends meet they're working uh, usually on the front lines of this this crisis and uh, and so we've had to find different ways to reach them and uh, and and put some resources behind it and that's something I'm really excited about going forward something that if I'm if I'm lucky enough to be the next governor of the state um, that will be a, a huge focus of our administration.
0: Listen, we, uh, we, we kind of run out of time. I want to say thank you to L- Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. And, of course, best of luck to you on the campaign trail. And we hope that we get a chance to talk to you again before all of this uh, transpires. Thanks, you guys. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at avonsports and Jason Lee 1. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
2: Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.